2: Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, November 9th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Department of Justice investigating the city of Lexington and the Police Department for possible civil rights abuses against black residents. Then, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman shares his plans for a second term in office. Plus, a political expert breaks down how Mississippi's election for governor stood out among the other off-year elections. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The U.S. Department of Justice is now investigating the city of Lexington for possible civil rights abuses by law enforcement. The probe follows years of complaints and several lawsuits alleging black residents face systemic abuse and harassment by the city's police force. Kristen Clark is assistant attorney general and head of the DOJ's Civil Rights Division. She says the allegations include stopping and searching drivers without justification and use of excessive force.
3: Specifically, we will assess whether the police department uses excessive force, violates people's civil and constitutional rights during stops, searches, and arrests, engages in discriminatory policing, or violates people's civil rights to engage in speech or conduct protected by the Constitution. Lexington is a small community with approximately 1,600 residents and a police department with fewer than 10 officers, and in this regard, it is not unique. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, half of America's police departments have 10 officers or fewer. The Justice Department is committed to protecting the constitutional rights of all Americans, whether they live in small towns or big cities. Residents of rural and underserved communities have the same rights and deserve the same protection as people who live in downtown Baltimore or the suburbs of Louisville.
2: Both Clark and um, the DOJ recently investigated and obtained guilty pleas from five Rankin County Sheriff's deputies and one Richland Police officer for the beating, sexual assault, and torture of two black men. Clark says the agency has received a substantial amount of testimonies that warrant this new investigation.
3: Based on an extensive review of information that is publicly available and that we received from stakeholders, we conclude there is significant justification to open this investigation now. For example, There are allegations that Lexington police officers have stopped, searched and arrested people without justification, used force against people who did not pose a threat to officers, used illegal roadblocks targeted at black drivers and retaliated against people exercising their right to question police action or record police activity the police department also appears to have violated First Amendment rights by routinely arresting people merely for using profanity. Community members have offered troubling accounts of how these alleged practices have affected their lives, of injuries caused by gratuitous and excessive force, of alleged sexual assault, assault, and of repression and reprisal. We know, too, that these allegations arise in a community that has already faced racial discrimination and economic disadvantage. About 86% of Lexington's population is black, and it has a poverty rate approaching 30%. But it also has a storied place in civil rights history. In the face of violent opposition, residents persisted in registering and exercising their right to vote and in 1967, elected the first black representative to the Mississippi State Legislature in the 20th century, who later went on to become Speaker of the Mississippi House.
2: Todd G. recently confirmed as U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of Mississippi, will be assisting with the investigation.
1: All of us here in Mississippi and throughout the nation want to feel safe in our homes and in public. But we want that safety to be obtained fairly and legally, not through a force and abuse of power. Make no mistake. Good police work is done fairly and legally every day in many places in America and in Mississippi. The investigation we are launching here today will ensure that the residents of Lexington, Mississippi receive the same from their police force. The allegations of what has happened in Lexington are serious. I have been to Lexington myself and met with members of the community. A thorough investigation of the Lexington Police Department is necessary. We look forward to working with our colleagues from the Civil Rights Division to follow the facts wherever they may lead us and to hearing more from the residents of Lexington as we conduct our investigation. This is the first day of that investigation, and we do not prejudge the outcome. But if our investigation determines that the Lexington Police Department has committed a pattern or practice of civil rights violations, I hope that the remedies that we reach will ensure that that police force can both fight crime, protect the civil rights of the community, and also serve as a good example for small, rural law enforcement agencies throughout Mississippi and the nation.
2: Both Clark and G said the investigation will go back a number of years to determine whether patterns and practices were established over time. Coming up, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman shares his plans for a second term in office. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
1: MPB's future
0: depends on listener support in all shapes and sizes. One of the many ways that you can make a long-term impact is by donating land or business properties you no longer need. More information about the advantages of donating real estate to secure Mississippi Public Broadcasting's future can be found at mpbonline.org.
2: You can participate in the local MPB Think radio programs this morning with phone calls and emails. At 9 on Creature Comforts, we'll talk about your animals and the animals around you. Get answers to your automotive repair questions on Autocorrect at 10. And at 11, Southern Remedy Kids and Teens deals with the health of your children. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Following this week's general election, Republicans have maintained their supermajority in the state legislature. The statewide candidate with the largest margin for winning this year was Republican Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman with over 61 percent of the vote. He campaigned on a platform of conservative spending reducing taxes, and reforms that could benefit low-income Mississippians. Our Michael Guidry spoke with Lieutenant Governor Hoseman at his election watch party on Tuesday night, and one of the most debated topics for every campaign this year was Medicaid expansion and the state of health care in Mississippi. Hosman says it will likely spark a new round of bills in the upcoming legislative session.
4: It's a big topic. We got people, we got hospitals that are in trouble, we got pharmacists that are in trouble, we got mental health that's in trouble, we got child protective services in trouble. I can go down the laundry list. We're gonna address those. And I'm hopeful that the governor will be acceptable to going forward on what I consider to be hearings and then hopefully results on all of those areas. Not just on saving the hospitals. We did that last year. I gave them $100 million last year to try to keep them afloat. But now it's time to get down to the systemic problems, the cost of pharmacies, the cost of doctors, where the rural nurses were short. You go down the whole list, and all of those need to be done. You watch what we're going to do. Watch the hearings, and you'll see the result. And I'm very hopeful that not only the governor, all the members of the legislature will support a cogent way to proceed on health care.
5: On that um, that point of opportunity, um, PERS, there's been some... Some recommendations from the board. Um, those recommendations, and some people say, could dissuade people from entering the the, the, the public sector, working for the state. Those benefits, um, uh, some might say that that, they're, that PERS is looking to kind of drop those benefits, make it make it less incentivizing for for people to join. Well, what where, where are you on PERS, and how are you? Uh, how do you well, want to steer this into that they way? They made a
4: presentation uh, that I noticed, particularly the members of the House. Uh, questioned them sharply on and when they left they went back to come up with another uh, ideas or presentation on how PERS should wrote. PERS is a is a binding contract for the state of Mississippi. We have to honor that. We will honor that. Now what their next proposal is about a fifth fifth schedule or some other way to look at it, we'll, we'll, we'll work with them when they come back with whatever they're going to come back with. But the bottom line is that we're going to honor the first now, and whatever that happens to be. The next one, we'll have to wait and see what they say. And following also following opportunity,
5: um, the, the, the future funding of the MAEP and the growth of those uh, Early childhood collectives, where are those on the priority list?
4: Our, uh, the MAP formula, we, we put $100 million in education last year. We did not put it in the MAP. It was de- it was devoted solely to, to the classroom, not principals or superintendents, because there's been some comment that maybe they, their compensation had gotten at a level in some of our districts. So when we go back again this year, you know, it's our goal to, f- to fund education. Whether that be under the formula or under some other way, that's where we're headed. And that that goes from pre-K, which we now have 6,000 kids in public pre-K, down to colleges. In community colleges in Tennessee, when they did this, last dollar tuition, when they did that, we they had a 40% increase in kids going. That's the workforce of the future. That's the reason people stay.
5: This is my last one. Um, the ballot initiative, there were some... There was some proposed legislation in the Senate, some in the House. The two chambers couldn't really come to agreement on certain things like signature requirements, all that. Um, it's something that people still, we, we hear from from medical marijuana advocates, uh, Medicaid expansion advocates, um, other advocates that they, they, they want the ballot initiative back. Can it come back, and where? how do you see it coming back?
4: We passed it last year. The House didn't pick it up. That's what happened. And it was late in the, uh, to, to their credit, it was late in the session. I anticipate we're going to pass it again, and I hope that the House will agree. We do not need to have a ballot initiative that is 80,000 votes. You know, that's as a 1.8 million voters in Mississippi, that would be like 4% of the population. That's not, that's not a good number. We proposed another number. I'm hopeful we'll propose it again this year. I, I, I think the ballot initiative is a good process. We had the biggest ballot initiative ever today. They hired all these people to come or not. So I I think we'll look at it again. I anticipate it passing again. Thank you,
5: Lieutenant Governor Hosman. Congratulations. Good to
4: see you all.
2: Coming up, a political expert breaks down how Mississippi's election for governor stood out amongst the other off-year elections. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio,
0: helping you correct your auto problems. Our host is Coach Charlie Milton,
2: ASC Certified Master Technician. Let
0: me help save you some money working on your cars. Listen to our podcast, AutoCorrect.
2: Join the Gestalt
3: Gardener and Next Stop Mississippi on the road live from the 47th Annual Chimneyville Arts Festival, December 1st from 9 until 11 a.m. Tune in or join us in person at the Bill Waller Mississippi Craft Center in Ridgeland for all the action at the merriest shopping event of the holiday season. This festival celebrates artisans and provides patrons a place to procure new pieces for their collection. Tune in December 1st starting at 9
2: a.m. only on MPB Think Radio. You can participate in the local MPB Think Radio programs this morning with phone calls and emails. At 9 on Creature Comforts, we'll talk about your animals and the animals around you. Get answers to your automotive repair questions on AutoCorrect at 10. And at 11, Southern Remedy Kids and Teens deals with the health of your children. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Top candidates for governor in this year's general election ran a tight race, and margins were expected to be very close on Tuesday. Republican incumbent Tate Reeves was expected to win with a majority of votes, but Democratic challenger Brandon Presley received record campaign donations. Reeves won his bid for election, but had lower numbers of voters compared to the other down-ballot Republicans who won state office. Jessica Taylor is the Senate and governor's editor for the Cook Political Report. It's a nonpartisan election analysis site based in Arlington, Virginia. She says the race between Reeves and Presley was originally rated as likely Republican, but that was changed in the weeks leading up to the election to leaning Republican.
0: One of the biggest differences I think we have between rating a race as likely or lean likely indicates that we don't see it as competitive yet, but it has the potential to become that. Whereas lean says that we view the race as competitive, but that one party has an advantage. I think, you know, we moved it in the final couple of weeks of the race. And I think when you looked at all of the spending from the candidates, the outside spending in the race, I think just the contentiousness of the advertising, of the sole debate that they had, it was hard to look at this and say that it was not a competitive race. And uh, I think the results bore that out. You know, the results ended up being... You know, fairly close to what happened in uh, 2019, which we also rated that race as a uh, lean Republican between Reeves and Jim Hood. And, you know, one of the things I noted in my analysis is that you can be a very strong Democratic candidate, which again, I think Presley was very on message. I heard that even from Republicans on state, in the state, focusing on expanding Medicaid and on cutting the grocery tax and, uh, you know, cutting the car tax fee and different things. And I even wrote in my analysis that that ceiling was somewhere around 47 percent. Right now, Brandon Presley is sitting at 47 percent. So I think that just shows the hurdles, I think, that still exist in Mississippi in what was a low turnout election. I think still the difficulties, I think the key that Democrats wanted was to I think fundamentally sort of change the makeup of the electorate and get more black voters out. But I always thought that the numbers that they needed to get would reach percentages that we hadn't seen since 2008 or 2012, which were not only presidential years, but when you had Barack Obama on the ballot. And I was always very skeptical of that because I think that's just hard to do in an off-year election. So I think... Again, it was a competitive race, but we felt that Reeves still had the edge. And I think the results
2: bear that out. When did you realize, oh, this is a competitive race here?
0: I mean, I've been watching the race, actually, I would say closely since the summer. Democrats were really sort of touting this. And I remained pretty skeptical um, because you had Presley spending a lot of money early to define himself with positive advertising and you know telling his story, sort of a rags to not even riches, but, you know, growing up um, there in in a small town and Nettleton and with the dirt floor with his family and his father being murdered. And I think he had a very compelling story. But until Republicans start defining you, which Reeves and National Republicans eventually did, um, and tying you to the National Democratic Party, which we know is not popular in Mississippi, can those stick? So even though I had been shown Democratic polling um, end of the summer, right after around Labor Day, that showed that this was a competitive race, I viewed it with a lot of skepticism. I think when I saw polling that still showed it closer, you know, Democratic polling had this as a much closer race and even hoped and believed that it might they might hold Reeves under 50 percent and force a runoff. And then I also looked at where Reeves's own approval ratings are. I, I think what, what I saw in Mississippi and really what I saw in, you know, one of the, the other big races of the night that I was watching since I covered governors in Kentucky was that Andy Bashir, a Democrat, even in a red state, had very popular high approval ratings above 60. Now, Reeves's were not that high. When you look at him among all 50 governors, he's sort of near the bottom of the pack, but I wouldn't say they're terrible. They're sort of middling. I still felt just to oust an incumbent governor is just very, very difficult to do. In fact, in 2022, only one governor, period, lost re-election. In 2020, no governors did. And in 2019, only one did. So we haven't seen more than that since, since 2018. So I think I looked at those factors. But then when you did have these ads that were still running and really tying Presley to that and I really got it when I was talking with a lot of Republican sources, particularly in Mississippi, that really feared that there would be lower Republican turnout. They felt that Presley had run a good race and that there was some sort of a a little bit of apathy perhaps for, for Reeves. So I looked at it as a mix of all of those, all of those things. And I, I think really within the last month, I think I began to see that, okay, this is clearly a competitive race, but, did not see a scenario where it was going to be close enough that I saw a plausible path for Presley to win.
2: Okay, two things. First, how effective is portraying Democrats as liberals, uh, tying them to whoever the highest ranking Democrat is in getting people to vote Republican?
0: I I do think it has an effect in Mississippi where the partisanship divide is very stark. And I also think one of the issues is uh, the state has the highest percentage of black residents, but getting black turnout is hard. And I think that's for many reasons, including voter access. And we saw, you know, certainly long lines and issues in Heinz County and everything last night too. But even I think if that hadn't been the case that Re still would have had the advantage. And ultimately it's also just hard for Democrats to sort of win those Republican crossover voters and enough white voters in the state. So, I think when you do tie them to national Democrats, and you know, money was money was also a major issue here, where Presley was the best-funded candidate that we've seen in decades, and he was
2: getting system. money from national organizations.
0: Yes, that's what I was trying to say. Money is money. You could run ads and get your message out, but I think when Reeves was able to, so, I mean, he was that, that enabled Presley to put out his own message and things too, but it also gave Reeves a rebuttal to say, yes, but here, this is the party of Joe Biden, this is, you know, tying him to other people in Washington, other Democrats. And I think that probably gave some people that may have flirted with voting for Presley, maybe gave them pause.
2: What is it, have you been able to determine about Governor Tate Reeves that his popularity, his likability tends to be low?
0: Sure, actually, but um, I think that certainly the scandal with his predecessor, and that you know continues to sort Phil of Phil
2: Bryant, former governor yes, Phil Bryant.
0: Yeah, the welfare scandal I think was certainly not helpful. Um, there were questions about I know expenditures to the governor's mansion as well. Um, I think. That he comes from more of a position of wealth. His family does. And when you have Mississippi, that is a very poor state, I think that enabled Presley to make a comparison. Um, you know, when he won um, the primary in 2019, it was a very hard fought primary. And there were even questions about whether he would get another serious primary challenger this time. Now, he didn't. But he also, in the primary against two essentially unknown Republicans only got 75% of the vote against candidates that didn't spend anything. So to me, that showed there was a softening. So I think it's sort of maybe a combination of those things. You know, he's maybe not as charismatic, but I think his campaign tried to sort of portray him more as a workhorse and really emphasize education, probably their best argument. I even heard that from Republicans um, really there at the end. You know, because I think when you look at someone like Bashir in Kentucky, it does have much higher approval ratings. He's a bit of a more gregarious person. Um, I think I just think you know, politics is about perception a lot. But you know, Reeves has been in politics a long time and he's been successful. And clearly, there is something there. Um, but I, I, I also think it's just about how you portray yourself as a candidate. But ultimately, I think you know they were successful in in still in winning. But, again, the state clearly tilted to them, but I I think their message was a winning one in Mississippi.
2: Jessica Taylor is the Senate and governor's editor for the Cook Political Report. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. We'll see you tomorrow.